Hi, everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Now podcast channel. Our conversation today will touch on the scope of executive orders implemented by the Biden administration, where we stand on fiscal stimulus, former President Trump's impeachment, and more. I am glad to welcome back to the conversation a Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So, Shane, uh, welcome back. Great to be with you as always. Happy Friday and looking forward to our conversation. Thanks, Dan. It's good to be with you again. Absolutely. And Shane, I know there's quite a few items we want to hit on. I was curious maybe at the start, I know many of us this week, including myself, have been taken back by the kind of activity we've seen in the equity markets, uh, some of these stock trades that have gone on. And we're not the only ones. I know it's caught the attention of Congress, the SEC, even Treasury Secretary Yellen. So do you mind providing some color in terms of what's going on and what we've been hearing in Washington? Yeah, no, the market activity uh, definitely got the attention of Washington this week. And, you know, anytime you have uh, Senator Ted Cruz of Texas agreeing with Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez of New York, you know, that alone is um, noteworthy. Uh, You saw a lot of lawmakers uh, make almost an expected response. And when I say expected, you know, I I expected uh, that lawmakers would call for more market regulation and and taxes on stock trades. So that is to be expected. Um, What what we don't know is what happens after now. I think we're definitely going to see hearings. Um, not only in Congress, but the SEC take a look into this. So there'll be more to come. Now the question is, is what happens after that? Is it just going to be hearings or is actual um, legislative uh, solutions coming forward or is it more regulation by departments and agencies? So this would be fluid, but there's no doubt what happened uh, this week got the attention of uh, policymakers across the board. Okay, so it sounds like there's more to come and officials are maybe still trying to wrap their heads around how to approach and make sense of this, but we'll keep an eye on it. Uh, But thank you for bringing us up to speed on where we stand today, Shane. So I do want to continue on, follow up on our conversation on uh, President Biden, his executive orders. We did spend some time last week touching on this. Again, very common practice, especially for new presidents, but there has been a lot of these executive orders coming out of the White House. So uh, what policies, initiatives, Shane, have the orders been aimed at addressing, and are there any more coming up on the horizon that we should be mindful of? Yeah, no, this is a very active uh, part of the Biden administration right now. You know, um, you have everything from um, uh, travel bans uh, to countries that uh, um, have uh, severe impacts of covid um, you know, uh, definitely a focus on health care. Um, President Biden is uh, elongating the enrollment uh, period for Obamacare to try and make sure people are getting an adequate health care coverage they need. Um, and other areas like uh, the federal workforce, you know, obviously the Biden administration wants to increase the minimum wage. They can't do that unilaterally. But what they can do is try and apply that minimum wage increase to the federal workforce, which they have purview over. Um, you also see um, some some uh, inf- actions on trying to make uh, uh, more inroads on uh, made in America uh, provisions. So there'll be more to come there. There's there is almost no um, 
uh, area that uh, the Biden administration is not examining right now. So I think you'll see more, uh, especially when it comes to healthcare, COVID response, uh, the environment. Uh, this is just the opening stages of uh, the Obama administration. You know, we're we're just a, a week plus out from uh, President Biden being sworn into office. So definitely more to come here. Okay, and I'm sure we'll have some follow-up conversations on these executive orders. So thank you for bringing us up to speed on where we stand with that. I know President Biden, he also spoke with several heads of state this week, including uh, Japanese Prime Minister Suga, as well as Russian President Putin, just to name a couple. Any indication, Shane, of what these conversations consisted of? Yeah, these are two different, uh, very different calls. You know, the um, call with uh, Japanese Prime Minister was really about uh, relationship building and solidarity, and not only solidarity solidarity between the two countries, but how do they we remain allies with all the the current threats in the region, whether it be North Korea or China? Um, how, how would the U.S. respond to uh, Taiwan and the aggression uh, towards the Taiwanese from China? So it was, it was a much greater context than just the U.S.-Japan relationship. It's really about the region. Um, whereas the conversation with uh, Putin is uh, about, you know, uh, the Biden administration, you know, really starting their pushback on Putin and Russia, uh, whether it be uh, cyber attacks, um, democracy, you know, uh, obviously this uh, past week saw a lot of demonstrations in Russia uh, supporting uh, Putin's opposition, Mr. Navalny. Uh, and those uh, demonstrations really have impacted uh, Putin and his, um, his, his power and is showing a real internal struggle in Russia. So, you know, I think um, Biden is going to be a very different um, take a very different tack than former President Trump did with um, Putin and Russia. And this call was the first uh, to set that stage and really uh, push back uh, from uh, push back against Putin and, and uh, Russia. Okay, well, it will be interesting to see how some of these relationships materialize in the coming months and years. So Thank you for the color there, Shane. I know the president, President Biden, also signaled willingness this week to compromise on that proposed stimulus package. We've been talking about this. It started out at $1.9 trillion. Perhaps that's a starting point. But uh, based on this willingness to compromise, I'm curious, Shane, which components might we see ultimately walk back? And where does this whole process stand as of today? Yeah, I think overall we should look at it as um, there are two outcomes, and uh, those two outcomes um, are both being pursued. Um, So this is on a dual track. Um, The first one being a bipartisan bill uh, with support from Republicans, and that's where you see Biden opening up the door to say, you know, where can we compromise? Where is the right solution? Um, I think if, if that is the the strategy that wins out the price tag of the bill will probably fall fall to under one trillion dollars to and that will be needed to attract republican support so you'll see uh things like state and local government uh being reined in you know i think there'll still be room for state and local government funding just not as much as uh biden democrats have called for i think you'll see um a pullback on uh, the doubling of the minimum wage and so on and so forth so that is um, being 
still pursued. But at the same time, uh, you see Democrats uh, exploring their second option, which is to push ahead with this full bill um, using the budget reconciliation process, which would only require 50 votes. Um, So they would have to get every Democrat senator on board, which means, you know, every single Democrat senator has a lot of power. They can, you know, push back or uh, or maybe try and add on to any provision. Um, Now, using the budget reconciliation process, you know, not everything may actually be able to get into the bill because of the um, budget rules and constraints on the bill, you know. So that is an evolving um, story that we'll be following. Um, At the end of the day, I think there there is a good chance that something happens. It's just a question of um, which path is taken. And then from there, we'll have a better idea of how big uh, this next stimulus bill is. Right. Well, I know this is a point of interest for many of us, so we'll see how these negotiations progress in the coming weeks. Uh, maybe one more point we can hit on this week, Shane. I know President Trump, he's made some headlines this week. I did see that uh, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy met with the president down at Mar-a-Lago. It appeared that they were patching things up, so to speak, but also the prospects of former President Trump's impeachment in the Senate, uh, those appear to be waning. So what exactly has been transpiring, Shane? Yeah, so the articles of impeachment were formally sent over from the House to the Senate. Um, So that kind of begins the process. Um, And all the senators have been sworn in as jurors, but uh, the trial won't actually begin until uh, the week of February, so about 10 days from now. Um, But in the lead up this week, what you saw is there was a procedural vote on what is the constitutionality of, you know, uh, impeaching and possibly convicting a president who is no longer a sitting president. And now that um, motion got five Republicans to support uh, that it is constitutional to pursue this, which is far short of the 17 that would be needed to convict uh, President Trump. Obviously, those are two very different votes. And I think, you know, Republicans uh, may add a, a few more votes to convict because they are different votes. But it, it does send you a strong signal that there probably isn't going to be an, um, enough to get 17 Republicans to join the 50 Democrats to convict uh, pre- former President Trump. So it looks like impeachment uh, that, and that the trial won't lead to a conviction. Um, and that's actually why you see some uh, senators uh, quietly talking and negotiating to see if there's an alternative, which would be to issue, uh, issue a formal censure of uh, President, former President Trump by Congress. Uh, Andrew Jackson, I think, is the only president that's ever been censured uh, by Congress, and that was back in 1834. So this isn't um, something, uh, you know, that's been used that often. Um, you know, I, we do not envision this option being used at this point, um, you know, but uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer could pivot to this if he concluded uh, that the time spent on the impeachment trial would be better used approving, you know, Biden cabinet nominations and advancing the next stimulus bill. So this is fluid, but I think the most likely outcome is that, you know, uh, the trial starts uh, on February 8th. And then about two weeks later, um, 
former President Trump is not convicted. Yeah, it was interesting. I had not heard of that before. But to your point, I think Virginia Senator Tim Kaine was among those uh, voicing that option. But a very interesting situation. We'll see how this materializes over the next few weeks. But uh, Shane, thank you for your time. Insights as always covering all of the ground that you did for us. Appreciate your reflections on what has been a very busy week on many fronts within the Beltway. Looking forward to picking back up with the conversation next week. Hope you have a nice weekend, Shane. Thanks, you too, Dan. Everyone uh, stay safe this weekend and, and hopefully stay warm. Likewise. Thank you, Shane. And again, today we have been joined by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. As a reminder to our clients and listeners, please be sure to reference the latest edition of the Washington Weekly Publication. That can be located on UBS.com forward slash Washington Weekly. For clients of UBS, you can also contact your financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of the Washington Weekly publication directly. The Washington Weekly podcast is part of the UBS In The Now podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes and Spotify. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at UBS.com forward slash relationship summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA SIPC.